0: Welcome back. We're working through the relevance of the Abrahamic covenant to us today. It's a weighty subject and one that sometimes we just push aside as being Old Testament relevant. But what about our relationship with God today? And how does covenant play into that? Once again, here's George.
1: So, what we heard from Galatians 3 Paul saying, that the covenant established and ratified by God is not invalidated by the law which came later. In other words, when the law was given to Moses, it did not replace the promise given to Abraham. The promise stood. But what then, what was the purpose of the law? Paul continues to explain in Galatians 3. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing to Gentiles, not Jews, and showing them that through trusting a descendant of Abraham, his seed, Christ, they too are now a part of the covenant with God given to Abraham and his descendants. They have been adopted into the family with full rights and responsibility as sons. Paul continues, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise." Paul sets aside any issues we might have about men and women. You're all one. There is neither male nor female. And if you belong to Christ, here's where the argument draws to his point, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. There it is. The promise God made to Abraham was that the whole world would be blessed through his seed. Paul says the seed of Abraham is Christ, and all who trust in him inherit the promise made to Abraham, thus fulfilling it. Extraordinary. We're not done, though. We are still setting foundation stones in place. There is still a lot left to understand about covenant and the law and Christ. Remember, at the start of this discussion of covenant and Abraham, I said we would look at the covenant between God and Abraham, the law, the covenant between God and Israel, beginning with Moses, and the covenant Jesus declared. Believe it or not, we're still working on the first point. Here's what we have so far. From Genesis 15, God promises to give Abram innumerable descendants. Abram believes God's promise, and his belief is counted as righteousness. God says Abram's descendants will multiply, go into captivity for 400 years, and then be freed with great possessions and go on to inhabit the land promised to them in this covenant. The promise is witnessed with the shedding of blood and with God's presence. And then from Genesis 17, God tells Abram to walk before him and be blameless, sanctification, renames him Abraham, expands on his promise of many descendants to mean nations, implying non-Israelites, says the covenant will be with him and his descendants and will be everlasting. He promises to be God to Abraham and those descendants— He then tells Abraham that the part of the covenant Abraham must keep, as well as his descendants, is that every male child shall be circumcised. This circumcision will thereby also be the ongoing sign of the covenant. Some 2,000 years later, and long after Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt, fulfilling that part of God's promise to Abraham... Paul writes to some Gentiles, that is, people who are not Jews and are not blood descendants of Abraham, and says that by trusting one of Abraham's descendants, Christ, they too become a part of the same covenant with Abraham, adopted into his family, including the promise of God everlastingly to be their God. And they are therefore Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. And Paul does not make these Gentiles subject to the law, which isn't mentioned in Abraham's covenant anyway, but refers to the law as a tutor until faith came through Christ. We will return to this question of the role of law deeply as we now look at Moses and the covenant declared by God through Moses. So now we're going to move from the covenant God had with Abraham to the covenant which we call the Law of Moses. This is chapter 14 in the book, and it follows the discussion of covenant in Abraham. This is the Law of Moses. And this is an important chapter about a really important subject, law. Law and specifically the Old Testament law followed by religious Jews from the time of Moses right up to today. But why should we care? Didn't Christ take us beyond the law? Didn't Paul say that it was just a tutor until Christ came? Isn't the law something from back then to which Christians are no longer subject? The law of Moses is little discussed in most churches other than as a historical subject or to show how and why Christians have left behind a key religious requirement of Judaism. It is also one of those where angels fear to tread topics for theologians. Mm, But like a fool, I will rush in. It's worth the risk. Most Christian denominations and theologians have a specific and rigorous concept about the relative importance of the law to Christians and what effect the coming of Jesus Christ had on the law and our relationship to it. Most would affirm that faith in Christ frees us from the law, although just what that means and how it happens is the source of voluminous debate. There are also a few Christian groups that still follow the law, including keeping kosher and worshiping on the Jewish Sabbath. It is also true that most Christians, even if they have not really looked into this deeply, have the general impression that those who follow the law, like the Pharisees, are attempting to make themselves righteous before God by their careful rule-following. We think this at least because Paul seems to say as much in his discourses about the law and the Jews. You may be surprised to learn that this isn't really the way Paul or religious Jews think about the law. Thus, in order for Christians to understand the law of Moses and the covenant between God and Israel embodied in that law, we first need to unlearn our misconceptions about it. So a little bit of a preface. The law. The source of the law of the Jews, also called the law of Moses, is the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Jews call these books collectively the Torah. Torah is a Hebrew word meaning teaching or instruction, or law. Jews believe that this was given them at Mount Sinai, and many, perhaps most Jews today, and in Paul's day, believe Moses and they were simultaneously given an oral law at Sinai as a guide to interpreting and applying the law in the Torah to specific circumstances. This oral law comes down to us today in what is called the Talmud, a written compilation of the oral law itself, surrounded by extensive commentary by renowned rabbinic scholars over the course of many centuries. We'll return to this shortly. The Torah is central to all Jewish worship, whether Orthodox, Conservative, Reform, or Hasidic. Jewish synagogues have a Torah scroll which is kept in an ark at the back of the sanctuary. The scroll is removed and read with great reverence. Often the congregation touches or kisses it as the Torah is carried out. Why does this matter? Because rather than as rigid rules imposed on an unwilling people, the law, the Torah, is seen by Jews as the profound and life-giving guidance of a wise, loving, jealous, and all-powerful father for his children's well-being. This guidance is not given to juvenile recipients, but to adults who choose to live and work as God's partners in the healing of the world. His Torah, his instruction, is his gift to them in this partnership. I would ask you just to sit with that and consider it, and we will return to this topic when we come together again next time.
0: Thank you, George. Well, it's our hope that this study of covenant is helping you see the gift that our covenant relationship represents today. If you really want an in-depth but accessible introduction to faith, look no further than the book on which this program is based. Not only does it explain the many distinctions and divisions that have beset the church, it also explains why various groups have believed what they did and reveals what of all of this is essential and important and rooted in who Jesus was and what he taught. The book's called What We Believe and Why, and you can get it at the website of the same name. We encourage you to check it out, and we invite you to join us next time for What We Believe and Why.